Hi, this is Dr. Kristen Scatliff of MD Fem Incorporated. We really appreciate you tuning into our podcast, and we know that you value the information that we give as physicians, but I want to make something very clear. Do not use this information over the advice of your own primary care provider. That is the doctor that sees you. That's the doctor that knows all of your comorbidities, your medications, and everything else that's going on with you. We want you to take their advice. This is not formal medical advice, okay? Feel free to DM us or email us at mdfem at gmail.com or on IG at mdfem or on our Facebook, mdfem live. Thank you for tuning in. Hi, I'm Dr. Scatliff and you're on with MD Fem Incorporated and we have a special episode for you today. It is on lactation. We're calling it the duct dilemma and we have on a very special guest, but we also have Dr. Candice Walben in the building, um, MD Fem Squad, and we have Dr. Shakira Henderson and her bio is a whole bio, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my time and read this properly, okay? Dr. Shakira Henderson wears several professional hats, including a hospital-based nurse researcher, health educator, and certified neonatal nurse. She is currently serving as the Vice President Research Officer for UNC Health, the Assistant Vice Chancellor of Clinical Research for UNC Chapel Hill Campus, and the Clinical Research Integrated Officer for the UNC School of Medicine. She previously served as the founder and senior administrator of the Vida Health Center for Research and Grants. She is a lifelong learner and holds dual doctoral degrees, PhD and DNP, and a master's and two master's degrees in public health, okay, anatomical sciences, advanced nursing practice with a subspecialization in nursing education. She serves as an elected member and neonatal expert on the National Board for the Association of Women's Health obstetric and neonatal nurses, and has recently been elected to be the 2022 to 2023 president. This year, she was elected to the North Carolina Board of Nursing. She also serves as co-chair of the North Carolina Nurses Association and on the board council, and she previously served on an international board for lactation and was a fellow mentor and faculty advisor in Sigma's Maternal Child Health Nurse Leadership Academy. She currently serves as a faculty advisor for the new Sigma Nurse Leadership Academy for Practice. Her expertise is in the innovative application of research and nursing practice to increase the generation of research from the bedside and expedite the translation of evidence into practice. She is passionate about equitable breastfeeding and lactation opportunities for the residents of North Carolina. Dr. Henderson is interested in global health as she is originally from Dominica. <laughs> that's, that's one of her hobbies is traveling. And in her spare time, she enjoys sound sleep. We welcome Dr. Shakira Henderson. Hi, thank you so much, Kristen. I don't know if it's to take a phone or sign an autograph. Listen, My listen, you can do both. You can do both, family. You can do both, okay? I, I, I've known Dr. Shakira Henderson, I want to say now for, I'm telling my age, 2002? Since 2002. No, I've only known you from 2016. Really? Wow. I'm Oh, we're telling stories today, huh? Okay. All right. So, anyhow, we're going to dive into this topic of lactation. 
And as a preface before we go into it, I'm going to make you know make a statement on behalf of MBFEM. And we understand that this is a sensitive that's very topic and that breastfeeding has traditionally been heteronormative. And so we're committed to changing that conversation and to making it much more inclusive. And we also ask for your patience during this as we navigate the nuances of the conversation. So we're going to flip in between saying he, she, they, them, and so forth. So as we use the pronouns, we ask for your patience. Okay, guys, um, we know that there's a difference, you know, that we're trying to translate things from breastfeeding to chest feeding and so forth. So we're going to talk about all of that too. But let's start off with what what is, why why breastfeed? Why breastfeed? What is the, what is the big draw? So Kristen, one of the most interesting things that um, we often try to navigate as we think about breastfeeding and chest feeding is the fact that breastfeeding is actually the norm. Mm. And it's supposed to be the natural way to feed. We've made breastfeeding and chest feeding something abnormal. And there are many reasons for that. We'll talk about, you know, some of the societal challenges to be able to get there. But breastfeeding is actually the natural normative way to feed a baby. And one of the most interesting things to me that actually took me back is when we think about breastfeeding and chest feeding, you know, using um, all the appropriate terms, we have over 40 years of evidence proving that breastfeeding is the best way to feed your baby. In fact, one of the biggest facts that gets me, and it makes me wonder about how many more degrees I could have gotten if my mom breastfed me longer, is breastfeeding is the only way to grow the, the human brain. Oh, wow. So I always tell my mom, my God, if you had breastfed me past two weeks, maybe I could have 16 degrees. You well, know what so I'm saying? Let's, but, <laughs> So wait, let's, let's, let's examine this. So, so that's the only way to, to cause like actual brain. So yes, not the DHEA that they're the putting in the infant formula. Optimally grow the human wow. brain. Wow. That's really interesting. The wow. only way to optimally grow the human brain. And let me put in a plug. If anybody wants to be in my clinical trial, I'm trying to grow brains up to 24. Let's see if we can grow the super brain. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Breastfeeding is the optimal way. To go, it's the only way to optimally grow the human That's brain. Like, and so wow. I, I, I always like to say this to, to folks. We have less than 40 years of experience and evidence saying that smoking causes cancer. We have more than 40 years of evidence saying that breastfeeding helps moms and babies, yet we still struggle. Mm. Oh, so just food okay, for thought. Okay, so so <laughs> some of the struggles for breastfeeding, like one of them is the society, the way society looks at breastfeeding, right? They they sexualize breasts, right? So then breasts became a thing. I don't pull out breasts in public, eh? And and so now I think it was 2018 was Idaho and Utah were the last states to make it actually legal to protect. But in all 50 states, everybody, mm -hmm. it is legal to breastfeed in public. Okay, don't let anybody tell you anything different. So. Um, so, you know, it's, it, they've hypersexualized it. That's one of the reasons, right? That's become a challenge for people, right? So, with, yes. so, so talk to me about, like, you know, how do you help a mom kind of get over that? Because some kids can't feed when they're covered, right? Is that, is that true? Like, I've seen, I've seen. No, that is, that is not true. One of the things I say about babies yeah. is that they don't sacrifice anything else while they're eating. They will eat. <laughs> As long as they have the ability to eat. Okay. The only thing they'll sacrifice is not being able to breathe. You'll see them move out if they mm, can't if breathe. If they can't breathe. Um, they don't sacrifice breathing for eating. Um, but one of the things I, I, I like to talk about when we talk about challenges with breastfeeding is thinking about the history. Mm. 
So we know that in the 1920s, in the early mid 20th century, we had, of course, you know, the women's era. And I apologize again, because this is just historical context, Mm -hmm. using the women's era, women were going into the workplace, we were, you know, feminism was huge in that era. In fact, some of you may remember having like that little hand with the woman with the tie around her head. And it was like, free the woman yes, from the press. Yes. And from. So what actually happened in the U.S. and across many developed nations is that these women went into the workplace and didn't have the opportunity to breastfeed because they were, you know, kind of liberated and empowered. They became the grandmothers in the 1990s and in the 21st century, and we lost that knowledge Mm. of community support of breastfeeding. And so now we have a whole generation who, you know, is a little bit more woke, and they're trying to breastfeed and chest feed and do all the healthy things for their babies. But they're being told by their grandma, their moms, who are grandmothers who never did it, and can't support them. Oh, that's gross. That's not really good. Mm. Or I don't think you should do that. You survived. But we know that breast milk is really optimal for the baby. It, it helps with survival and it helps with a way of giving good nutrition. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting when we think about the barriers and how society has shaped it. And the formula company, of course, loves it because they use things like, as you said, the DHA and all, all the things that can grow the brain. Where do you think that comes mm-hmm. from? breast milk mm-hmm. they've synthesized protein right where can you get the best proteins from breast milk just like you're going organic breast milk is the organic way and, you know and, to and, be able to and I mean, we're talking about the benefits for the baby but what about the benefits for mom there's benefits for mom oh, too right like like yes <laughs> you know this is this is one of the the deepest um levels of research when we talk about benefits for mom of course the the biggest one is it helps you get back to your pre-pregnancy weight quicker. We know that. Um, It really helps with decreasing postpartum hemorrhage so that you don't bleed after because when you breastfeed, you release hormones that give you that contraction and keep you tight so you don't normally have um, hemorrhages. Mm -hmm. Evidence has also shown that it's decreasing cardiac and diabetes as well as cardiac and female cancers like ovarian cancer. So that's really, really good. And, you know, we like to talk about the health benefits, but for me, I like to talk about the economic benefits. Hello, Hello. it is the economic way to go because you don't have to buy all this formula. You're good during the formula shortage. And it's the green way. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I know. Green. We're, so, we're, we're <laughs> moving towards the eco-friendly way of life, right? And I know. So this is the most eco-friendly way. Yeah. So let's. And it's also the emergency, it's also the emergency approach. And I know we don't ever like to think about doom and gloom, but what if a hurricane comes? What if we get into a war? Guess what? You can still feed your baby and maybe some others as well. So, you know, it's also the emergency, um, it's kind of considered the emergency plan. Right. So, so I want to ask Dr. Wall because she just had a little girl. You know, and um, Isla, yay. And I want to ask her about, you know, going back to work and breastfeeding. How has that been? Because, you know, there's a lot of working women out there would like the, yeah, would like the, that resource. How has that been for you? So I think it's been better. I think my first time around, it was rough because I didn't take sufficient time off. I mean, we can go into that too how much leave we actually get. And I think that was 
<laughs> we don't have to go there. But <laughs> that's that's I think that's the number one thing because my first child, uh, he's four now. I took only six six weeks. Yes, six weeks. And then I was still breastfeeding, and and in my subconscious, I was like, wait, I gotta stack up because I'm going to work. I need to start pumping because how is he gonna eat? And it's like, and then stress normally decreases your milk supply. So just think about it. You're stressed going back and then away from your baby. And then, okay, I gotta, and then while you're at work, okay, I have to pump every three to four hours. It, it, it is a lot. It is a lot. And then, and then so where you're working, it, it was good. where you're working, do you have a place that you can pump? Is there a designated like lactation <sighs> room? Let's not talk about Because that. that doesn't happen everywhere, right? Let's not talk about that. You know what I was happy about? So during my time off, I went to the science world and there was a designated spot. And I was like, so happy. <laughs> I had a big smile on my face. I was like, wait a second. I can actually breastfeed somewhere. Because <laughs> I was thinking, oh, I got to go back to my car to actually do this. <laughs> right. So no, um, I, we have, they have given us one of the rooms that we use as a patient room and say, okay, you can use this. Okay. And I was like, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, Doctor Henderson, oh. I don't know if you know, like I, even in residency and fellowship, mm -hmm. I had like co-residents and co-fellows that would look for places to to pump because like the pump room was like a small little closet that they had pulled together, and it was yeah. not the best place for you to like. There's not a lot of places that actually think about this is a place for for mothers to you know. It's not like they're encouraging the practice, and that's really. It's really kind of sad, actually, you know? And then I remember, like, co-residents males will be walking in on, like, you know, a, a girl, like, pumping because she's in the MOD oh. room. And they would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'd be like, it's normal. You are the one who sexualized breasts. <laughs> it's not whoa, whoa, whoa. You whoa, whoa, whoa. She needs to give her child food. Yes. Like, what's wrong with you? Exactly. So, so like... That that culture has to, you know, we have to change that culture, you know, like everybody kind of was like, oh, she's pulling out the nipples. Um, the child needs to eat on the plane. On the plane, isn't that the best thing to do? Because it pops their ears, right? It helps their, their relief yeah. of their pressure, right, right? Right. I'm like, you don't want them crying and screaming. You let her pull that breast out. That's so I was like, you just let her pull that breast out. I like to sleep on the plane. You let her. I know we were not going to go there, but I think we have to go there when we talk about advocacy. Mm -hmm. So the American Academy of Pediatric recommends that you breastfeed exclusively for six months mm. um, and then continue up to one year when you give complementary food. And the World Health Organization says up to two years after your six months of exclusivity. But I know, you know, we said we're not going to go there, but I do think we need to go to advocacy. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things I think in um, the maternal child world that we talk about is that we put out these recommendations but there's no actual policies to be able to support women to, exactly. to reach those, those pieces. So, so we don't have mandatory workplace lactation right. sites. We don't have audits to be able to do that. We have none of those things. We don't have mandated um, maternal leave and paternity We're leave. We're one of the only developed countries that don't have. only developed countries. And many countries actually protect the woman's Thank job you. up to a year, sometimes yes, two years. Two. So what are we yes. doing? So this is where the advocacy actually comes in. And I do want to address the stress of um, breastfeeding. Research does show that 
you know, when you have a little bit, when you have stress, it does stop, you know, it can, it can impact your supply, mm -hmm. but it's only temporary. One of the things I always tell, particularly my moms of color, I say, you know what? You think you have stress today? Mm. Guess what? <laughs> Slavery was the biggest stressor in the say, world, and they still breastfed. Say it again. Boom. Say it again. <laughs> Drop the mic. Drop the mic. They still breastfed. You know what I'm saying? So when you think about it, it does impact it. Don't get me wrong. It does slow you down a little bit. But what the research says is it's resilient because it's a natural way. Our body knows how to feed our baby. Thank you. So... So it will feed your baby. Thank you. It, it's I, just, that's I mean, you, 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 we, we're going to go in. We're going to go in. Okay. You brought up slavery. You know who I am. Okay. So we're going to yes. go in. Okay. So, <laughs> so we brought up slavery. Right. And, you know, you know, we were here feeding masses babies. Eh? This is some of the scars that we have left. Okay. So we were here feeding masses babies being, being the milk giving nurse, the wet brains. nurse, right. Giving them big <laughs> brains. Right. And, and, and having to feed our own children too. Right. And so you're literally having to feed your oppressor. Think about the trauma of that. This is the person that's going to grow up to whip you. Think about that. So there's a trauma that was associated with breastfeeding, especially yes. in our BIPOC yes. communities. We have to acknowledge yes. it. Okay. So when you say to me, oh, breastfeeding impacts everybody equally, stop. It does not. It does not, okay? No. When my black and brown mothers who are working two jobs, okay, have to breastfeed, it's a different shape of things, okay? And let's get into that, yeah. Kristen, because it's not just the the really trauma that we, we carry genetically and we carry with our families. Think about that generation. A lot of times in slavery, the moms didn't get to breastfeed their yes, own child. They and in exactly. fact, because it was such a negative experience, mm -hmm. they didn't want to. Yes. So it was really terrible, you know, for them to be able to do that. Exactly. So thinking about that, it, it's, it's real. It's real. It's, it's really, really real. And then the other thing that we need to talk about, and this probably spans racism in healthcare, is that what we're seeing and what we know is happening with our... Um, non-Hispanic black moms is that they're not even being offered the support for breastfeeding when they're on the floors. What? Many times when I counsel moms wow. or when I meet moms or people reach out to me, they're like, well, nobody told me about those benefits. Had I known, I would have tried a little harder. So there's an equity issue going on. That's the sad. same way that we have these issues when we talk about maternal mortality, mm -hmm. where we're not giving the same level of care to our non-Hispanic Black moms, we are not giving the same level of support when it comes to breastfeeding. And in fact, what's interesting is that non-Hispanic Black moms are the lowest percentage. Hispanic moms are actually on par with the national average. And of course, um, Asian and white and Caucasian moms are in the high level, high levels of breastfeeding in terms of initiation. So this is a real, it's not just our women of color. Let's, let's get it really right. right okay. as we put our okay. lenses. It's our non-Hispanic black moms are suffering wow. because they're not being inclusive when it comes to support. So let's, let's talk about this because um, I do remember when Candace was just gave birth. Okay. And, and um, I was there for this, this period. And I came to the hospital, the lactation nurse was very like, aggr like aggressive and wonderful and on it and like educating and helping her. And this, mm -hmm. and, and I mean, like I was impressed. I had not seen that kind of, 
you know, the kind of the energy coming from that. And was that a baby friendly hospital? Huh? What did you say? Was it a baby friendly hospital? I believe so. Do you know? I don't know. Oh. I think so though. The vibe, so. the vibe is very baby friendly. That's all I'm gonna say. I, I mean, they're so. very because if it is, that's probably but why. I, guess oh. you would, I I think also too, which is sad, but it's true, is that they know I'm a physician. Oh, they knew so you were. A, oh, yes, that's yes. okay. Because interesting mm-hmm. enough, uh, when I was having Elon, my nephew was actually having his son. And I had spoken to him about, this is, I think they were in New York, and I'd spoken to them about, hey, did you guys talk to the consultant about breastfeeding? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, and like you guys, I mean, when you leave, I mean, you can ask like breast pump, like all of that things. And they're like, no one came to talk about us. I didn't know we had to do, we could get all of that. So it's interesting that Shakira mentioned that because I'm like, wow, that's actually a custom of them not actually seeking out the black community to actually give them the same attention it, it it's sad so let's because talk I, it's it's sad because even when Kristen was there is like i i needed it like i can't see myself not getting that consultation and it's like i sought after them every day that's how i first persisted because i'm like see? oh i need to find out how do i handle this like like i need to keep up with my baby like so you were you were very you were very assertive also i want to say you were very assertive about i need to know this i need to know this, because you knew the challenges that you had in the first baby yeah, and exactly. then that was also that but my my i i'm, I'm like i'm flabbergasted because and this is for all of our listeners your insurance whether you're insured or whether or not you're covered for a breast pump you're supposed to be you're supposed yes. to be educated you're supposed to get a free breast pump you're supposed to be educated before you leave that everybody everybody should know this you should have access to that yeah most hospitals give free breastfeeding consultation even after you leave the the hospital so if they're not telling you that you need to to seek that out because they have it you can call the lactation consultant you can actually come back in their breastfeeding support groups but our moms, our non-Hispanic moms, are not being given that information. If they are, it's right before discharge, and nobody has the opportunity to be able to get that information. That's just so um, it's, it's a real sad. problem. And it's funny that Candy said, I needed, I really needed to get that consult. Because what research is showing is that the most influential time that impacts your length of breastfeeding mm-hmm is having that consult in the hospital. It actually has a four to six month increase in your ability to to maintain breastfeeding. So when you say you need it, you were right on point. Wow. Because, I mean, the latching on, the latching on, the whole, the, yes. how, how do I hold oh, this no. baby? How, you know, no. positioning, all this kind of things. What happens when my nipples get engorged or uh, my breast gets engorged right. or I have mastitis right. or, or what? And your breast gets engorged after you yes. leave because we know milk comes Thank in you. three to five days, five, you know? Exactly. So what happens then? When the, it's interesting because yes. I was still calling the lactation nurse after I left. I got on the phone and I was like, listen, what do yeah. I do? That's it's true. It's, it's, well, it's well, when he said to her that this child may feed fourteen times in a day, I said four, four, I said fourteen, fourteen times. <laughs> this, this experience made me go. Mm, I could 
me a cool auntie that flies in and out. I don't need to have kids. I'm good. Like 14 ah. times in the day, you pull it out. Oh, my Lord. Mm, Jesus. I was good. You know, I always laugh. I tell folks, it's kind of like some of us. We snack 14 times a day. Sometimes we drink a little water. We take a little snack, you know. I was like that. I was like, what? I was when I heard how much I was like, 14. I was like, oh Lord. I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. And then, and then I think that, so I think it's really important. So again, just to reiterate for our listeners, this is something that you are entitled to, eh? Please make sure before mm-hmm. you, you know, you ask for it if you don't see it happening and you demand it and you seek it out. You're your own advocate. Yes. You have to advocate for yourself sometimes. So please, please, and please. And especially if you're a NICU mom, you do get that, um, that really high level pump. Um, so you want to think about that as well. If you're a NICU mom, you can get a hospital grade pump. Oh, nice. So make sure that you can also, and you can get that for free. They can arrange to have that get to you for free. So um, keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Good to know. Here we go. So now, now let's say, okay, so let's say I'm at home and I'm pumping and everything. What's the best way to store my breast milk? How long should I be storing it for? What's my recommendations here? Because that's, that's something I also wanted to. So though, so I don't want to mislead any of our um, listeners. I'll tell you this, this is like the bane of my existence (laughs) when we think about breastfeeding and chest feeding Uh and breast milk. Um, Really make sure that you have your lactation folks give you the guidelines because every five years or so, we tend to change the guidelines. One of the things I tell my moms is that if you're feeding your baby and you put it in room temperature for more than an hour, it is no longer good. So that's the basic um, requirement. And it's interesting because that also applies to formula. So, you know, when you see those moms in the mall and they have that ready to feed mm-hmm. and they just keep on feeding for the whole eight hours they're in the mall, that's actually not appropriate. Mm. So we're talking about breastfeeding and we're talking about chest feeding, but some of these guidelines also apply to formula feeding. Wow. So um, we want to make sure that we're, we're safe. Some guidelines say that you can keep it up to four hours, but I like to be safe. I tell my moms, you know, after an hour... At room temperature, you want to make sure that, you know, you may not want to use that milk again. Okay. But again, I always tell my I always tell my moms, I have a little packet that I give them to make sure that they have the exact guidelines that are current. But talk to your lactation, talk to your nurses, talk to your physicians. That information is available to you okay. um, at the hospitals. And different hospitals have different um, specific guidelines. Okay. So now I have a question for you. Um so we're talking, we're talking straight here. I'm just going to ask my wild questions. Eh? So, <laughs> so what about moms who have had breast implants? Oh, that's the coolest one. And you know, Miami in the house, yeah, yeah. that's my original. 305 is breast implants. So it's interesting because a lot of times they say, oh, if you have breast implants, you can't breastfeed. It depends. Mm. So spent a lot of, actually started my lactation career in Miami. So it's like, I feel like I'm an expert on breast implants. The first thing I ask moms is, if you actually know, where was the implant actually put in? If it was put in in the breast tissue, then we might have some issues because some of the ducts might have been impacted. We anticipate there probably will be some delays in lactation. But if it's done actually behind the muscle, Mm then we probably have a better chance of having more successful breastfeeding because the breast tissue is still in place. Okay. So just understanding most um, 
most women don't know or um, persons don't know where the how their surgery was done that's easy to find out um, if you talk to your physician and if you do then you know how to set up your expectations right. um, in terms of breastfeeding. And everybody's different. I've seen moms who've had it in the tissue and they've really been um, diligent with their breastfeeding and they were they, they have more milk than, than I, can, I can imagine. Okay. So the truth of the matter is breast implants do impact breast milk supply, but it's everybody's different and all you need to do is try. Okay, great. So now now next question, okay? You know, the Caribbean in me, okay? They always the Caribbean moms and aunties used to say, you know, you breastfeed for too long and they're going to start to sag, eh? You're going to make the ligaments sag. Is that true? Is that true? So I I have to to laugh because <laughs> my grandmother said, "You are out here telling people to breastfeed. We're going to have people throwing their breasts behind their they're back in no time. So, I mean, she would, she, and I said, you know, I said to her, I said, grandma, okay, I'm breastfeed, right? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? And she's like, excuse me. <laughs> so I am here to tell you yeah. that there are two things that um, help with your breast going down. One, gravity. Yes. Can't help, Can't it. help it. It's going to go down. And secondly, the breastfeeding hormones naturally sag your breasts. Um, so pregnancy and gravity and aging yeah. are the three things that bring your breasts down. Yeah. So it's like, it's not breastfeeding that's that's causing it. It's actually those three other okay. things. Because I, I mean, there, there are people who've never breastfed and I can tell you it's still going down. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Wasn't ready. All right. So, so um, no, 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 but, so, but that's the, this is the reality, right? These are the myths that we have to bust because that's what people are thinking. This is the stuff that they've heard from yeah. their grandmothers and their aunts and, oh, you shouldn't do it for so long because X, Y, and Z. And I just want to break that myth for everybody. Okay. Just break that. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. So now, um, Dr. Wall, I have a question for you. Okay. So you, you've had two kids now. You're breastfe you breastfed both, right? I have a question. So now, what with the formula shortage? Are you glad? Aren't you glad you stuck with the breastfeeding? Because I remember when you started out, you were like, mm, "Don't know how long I'm gonna do this for, but let's let's have, let's have that thought." Aren't you glad with the formula shortage that like you stuck with it? I mean, oh yeah. Like it's. Can you imagine those two children that actually died from the from the formula? So to explain to explain to the listeners, the reason we had a formula oh, yes, shortage amazing. here in the U.S. was three different reasons. Number one, we were stockpiling formula during COVID, and then that caused them to bring down their production from these. And we only have limited companies that make formula in the U.S. Unfortunately, and then the third reason was Chronobacter. It was a massive infection, and it caused basically um, the children to go to ICU, and it can kill kids actually. And so that formula had to be thrown away. So that's why we had the infant formula shortage that we were going through now. Mm. And breastfeeding moms came to save the day because there's human milk sharing now. Yes, human sir. milk sharing. So I, Dr. <laughs> Henderson, can you talk to me about that? Is that safe, number one? Like if, if mom is considering, let me go buy some milk from somebody, like because they're selling it online. They're selling it on Facebook and all these other mediums. So like how, how do you choose? How do you know? What how do you do? You so this is where it gets really tricky and kind of scary mm -hmm. um, to think about. I would 
absolutely not recommend okay. that anybody buy milk on online. Okay. There are actual certified milk banks that you can buy milk from that has processed the milk and pasteurized the milk. And I don't want to scare um, the listeners out there, but viruses can actually sip into breast milk. That's HIV. That's all um, the different viruses. We've had babies get HIV from moms who are HIV positive and breastfeeding. However, one of the reasons they do that is because the benefits outweigh the risk. Mm. Um, But you still don't want to take that risk. Now, here's the reality. Milk sharing Mm -hmm. has been happening for generations. Mm -hmm. It's been happening during communities. So I cannot tell somebody who trusts, let's say, their sister that they want to get milk from their sister that they know, that they Mm -hmm. trust, that they, you know, they can get some milk from. That happens all the time. And there's nothing I can do for that. I can't recommend that. Um, But I would definitely not buy milk online unless you're buying it directly from a certified milk bag. Okay. So you want to get it directly from a certified Do not buy it on Craigslist. Do not buy it on Facebook. No. <laughs> Don't do it because if it's ad. not pasteurized yeah. and treated, I see. that is the scary is thing. It. There are a lot yeah. of um, there's a, scammers out there's, there. There's, and there's people that are out there ooh. selling this and saying, oh, I'm a vegan mom and I eat this way and blah, blah, blah. And so, yes, and selling their milk. And I go, I go. It's like $10 an ounce or something like that. $10 an ounce oh, no and no, i go this is this no. is insane like how, how do you know this is safe because like you said hiv but there's also things like htlv guys retroviruses yes. that later come back to haunt you in your adulthood and cause t-cell lymphomas exactly Mm-mm. so you yeah, that like like so cancer scary. in your adulthood from what was breastfed to you eh so let's be careful guys as she said, certified milk banks, certified milk banks. Okay. Nobody buy anything from Craigslist, eBay, Facebook. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. All right. So, you know, <laughs> I want to make sure we're all these things. Cause you see these things. And I had to send the, I sent the, the commercial to, um, to, to Candace. Cause I was like, this woman is advertising on stage. She's got an ad running. Like this is like her business. And I went, this is not safe. This is not safe. I don't care what Remember, you're Remember, breastfeeding emergency plan. <laughs> we, we did say it was the emergency plan. <laughs> we did say that. We did say that. Okay, so let's let's discuss my uh, our LGBTQ community because not mm-hmm. all mothers refer to themselves as she or, or, or mm-hmm. as women, right? And so how do we mm-hmm. make this conversation more inclusive, right? How do we bring that community in? Because- like we talked about before, we talked about the milk sharing and now there's co-lactation where two moms can, you know, can, you know, lactate for the baby. Like how do, how, you know, you're, you're president elect now for the society. How, how are you going to try to navigate or approach this for that community? I think one of the things that we always try to do, you know, whether it's in lactation or in maternal child care is be inclusive. We want everybody to feel like they belong and they can be part of the conversation. We know belonging is a fundamental human need. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to make sure that we're inclusive. The best thing that I would recommend is for us to be very transparent and ask people how they would like to be referred. So some folks might say, I am absolutely okay with you saying women and breastfeeding. Others might say, I really prefer for you to say birthing person or lactating person or chest feeding. I think we have to be really honest and transparent 
when we're dealing with um, different individuals and just ask, yes. you know, how would you like me to refer? Yes. And so many of the organizations are taking the approach that we're going to be all inclusive. Right. We're going to say women and lactation, lactating persons and birthing persons because we want to be more inclusive. We're gonna, we want to call people in, not call people out. Right. So um, that's, you know, that's one of the things that that's the approach that we're taking. And when it comes to individual care, just ask. And if you are bold enough, just tell us, how would you like to be referred to and how would you like us to address it? So that's the approach that um, we hope to take. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. And World Breastfeeding Week is August, what, 1st to the 7th? Is that correct? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Always in August. Okay. <laughs> so so what can we as physicians do to help promote World Breastfeeding Week with our patients? Like, to, like, like how can we guide them? So one of the things I, I can help you with several levels. So let's start with the organization levels. As physicians, I think you can advocate for your hospitals to become baby friendly, which means that they actually adhere to the 10 steps of successful breastfeeding with the World Health Organization. We have, I think, about 24% of births in the U.S., now being born um, with babies being born in a, a baby friendly institution, which is, I think, one in four babies. And that continues to increase. That ensures equitable care, which means that there are certain things that have to be done. And when they do become baby friendly accredited, there is actually an audit and a site visit to ensure that there is there is you're offering all moms a lactation consult. And in that site visit, they actually talk to moms and call moms who've had um, who've had experiences at the hospital. So it's absolutely random. Yeah, it's, it is it is a really great accreditation, which now allows equitable care. So now we can't just pick and choose who we want to give a lactation consultant. It is very in depth. So I think as physicians, you can advocate. Can we try to be baby friendly so we can have equitable care? And then. Again, I mentioned earlier that you are the most important factor that can influence a mom to be able to make a decision for breastfeeding and also increase her duration of breastfeeding post-discharge. So spending time with your moms pre-coming to the hospital, her three days are not the time to jank pack all of that breastfeeding information. Making sure that if you are, you are in practice before the hospital, that you have breastfeeding information those whole nine months, nine months. You have a long time to be able to support your mom. So make you can include breastfeeding in every visit that she has. It doesn't have to be you, but the attitude of the physician makes a difference. Moms trust their OBs. They trust their physicians. And so if you are of an attitude that's supportive of breastfeeding, they're most likely going to want to breastfeed because you are the most trusted person that they have. And when you're in the hospital, just encouraging that. And then post-discharge, when you see the moms, encouraging that as well. I'm also going to put it out there. Encourage and collaborate with your lactation consultants and your lactation specialists because you might not have time to sit and help a mom to breastfeed or hand express, but you can certainly connect to a lactation consultant who can spend that much time. And that makes a difference when you say, you know what, let me get that lactation consultant for you because it's so important that you live here breastfeeding because I know you can. They trust you, they look up to you, and you can make that difference. Wow. wow. So so I'm going to say on an adjunct to what you're saying, I'm speaking to my critical care docs like me out there, okay? When you have postpartum mothers that come to your unit, it is your responsibility as the critical care physician to ask, 
did she want to breastfeed? Okay, because there's certain medications that we cannot give them that will translate into the milk if we give it right. Number one. Number two, you have to pump. She'd have to pump if she's intubated and sedated. She can't pump. So we have to call the lactation consultant and have them help us manage this patient. I always do it. And all the other docs go, why are you putting all this effort into the lactation? Because she this must be that child is still in play, eh? That child is still in play. That breastfeeding should still happen, okay? And he has the right to his mama's milk, or she has the right to his mama's milk. So no, no, no. I'm not giving propofol. No, no, no. Okay. No, these things I really commend you. I really commend you because I've seen it, the mom go to ICU and I automatically think, okay, no, they're not going to be able to. You know what they used to I, do? I, the, oh, I, so you have to remember that critical care is a very masculine yeah. energy, right? It's It's been male dominated. So unfortunately, mm-hmm. they were not always sensitive to this issue, okay? SCCM and so forth are trying to shift it now, but before they weren't. And so they were like banding the breasts, eh? stopping oh, the milk production so 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 i've seen that before right mm-hmm. and so i was like what i was like did she like i would talk to the either the father of the children or or their partner or whatever um whether it's a he she they and basically they like hey what did they want to do did they exactly. want to breastfeed like, have they been breastfeeding their previous children before? Like, what was the plan with the OB? What was the plan with the pediatrician? Like, things of that nature. And then once I get that, I go, okay, so th- we're going to continue the plan. Th- there's a way around it. Call the lactation consultant. They know what medications I can't give that are going to go into the milk. They know what to do. Like, like they're going to come and pump her. They're going to come and make sure that these things happen. And then I get to manage her outside of that. Like, if you're intubated, you're not going to be able to, to pump or give breastfeed your child, right? So, and in COVID, that was a very big issue for us, right? So, yes. you know, and 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 outside of COVID, it's an issue too. So I want my critical care community to start thinking about lactation. It is your issue. It is your problem. We need to be involved in it. We need to consider it when we're managing our patients. Absolutely 100%. Do not stop that process. I am please advocate for your patient on every level you can. So, you know, thank you for saying, you know, that we can call a lactation consultant and, you know, working with them. You learn from your support. Your, you know, these ancillary services teach you so much as a doc, eh? So don't, do. don't d- dismiss them. Don't dismiss them. Please, please learn that number. Keep it on the back of your ID. Call them. Because <laughs> postpartum ICU patients are some of the most difficult to manage. So you really yes. do need the support of the OB and of everyone in the team right there to help you out. So, yes. so you know... I mean, we're gonna we're gonna end the conversation here, but I think we're gonna have to have to do a part two at some point. This was amazing, <laughs> and my mind is blown. Like we didn't even get into certain things, but it was so great I having know. you, Doctor Henderson. Lots to talk about. So it was great oh to see God. you both. Oh yes. my gosh, this is great. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for joining MB Fem, guys. Good night.